All right, here we go. Hey, everybody. This is Matt Hill. I'm with Night Energy Services. Ken Lavin with Winter Mud. I'm Jeremiah Smith, Trace Management. And we have our guest in the show today, our Talking Energy Show, our new podcast. And we have a guest here today. Inter- introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Robert Rother, um, Vice President, Director of Operations uh, for America Oil Company. America Oil Company. America we got Oil. another one in here. Uh, we were uh, blessed to have uh, uh, Ron, uh, Franz Ronnie in here with us the other day and telling us a little bit about America Oil. But we have the we have the engineer behind all of this uh, in our studio. The, brain, today. the brains. The, the brains. Brain. I have Ronnie's got brains, but mm. come on. The bigger brains. How about that? The big yeah, brains. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got to be careful, you know. I mean, you, you guys are both brains. I'm I'm very appreciative of your endeavors. And then the next thing you know. Um, you know, something, something normally happens. It's on my card that says, hey, uh, what do they like to hear? You're smart. <laughs> Remind yourself every time before you go. Yeah, into every time I talk smart. to an engineer, you, know you are smart. smart. I mean, I'm not. I'm in sales. It's, you know, obviously that I am, I have found my calling. <laughs> I like talking to people, so I started up a podcast. Absolutely. Well, you know, being an engineer, you know, I, uh, one of the uh, outgoing engineers, I would at least uh, know the color of the person's shoes next to me as I stared at the floor and can't look him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. fantastic. So you know, outgoing so engineer. That's a, right. a lot of stuff that we do, we talk about that all the time. I mean, our goal, my goal always has been, and we and we knew the values, like, man, grab your friends that are the engineers, your friendsters, your customers, your engineers, your friendsters, right? Get them out with you to all these events and meetings and introduce them to everybody because we knew the value of that networking Mm -hmm. is going to come in handy for them someday. Like I always want my friends working in this industry and the more people, you know, the better. I mean, they just don't, they give you guys so much knowledge in college on how to go and do your amazing jobs that you're doing. You're bringing the world affordable, reliable, abundant energy, but man, those soft skills of, They don't, that's the one thing they don't teach, right? I mean, they can, you can do a uh, material balance equation for figuring out reserves for all of these reservoirs and everything else and the economics and everything, but go have to talk to people. Oh man, tell you what, that's probably the biggest shortcoming that a lot of the uh, petroleum engineering schools have tried to address here lately. And and having done some recruiting uh, at a lot of the different schools and everything, that's that's probably the number one ask from the uh, students is, is, how do I get in front of more people? How do I mm-hmm. own, uh, hone my skills and soft skills? And um, it, it's been pretty amazing to watch the way that some of the engineers have developed over the years, um, and how much extra they'll do. Whether it's uh, you know being a speaker at an SPE forum, uh, the uh, like Oklahoma City now uh, they've got the uh, um, what is that the uh, they have like the symposium now. Yeah, the symposium, but there's a specific. Uh, there, there's the just for the YP. Yeah, yeah, young professionals. Yep. Yeah, the YP. Yeah, developing uh, those young guys to come in and be leaders. Absolutely, you know, uh, I'll show my age. Aaron Ketter uh, actually helped start that uh, back when I was the SP chairperson 
I don't think he's going to appreciate you saying that either. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's all right. Aaron's a good yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, um, he, he's been at it a long time, but uh, he, he's been a really good guy uh, for helping develop some of the younger engineers. That's actually fortunate enough to be on that Young Professionals and Energy Board a yeah. couple of years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I can't remember who extended the invite, but I had a great time with it. Did yeah, I think it? Emily Woner, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. she does that now. Mm-hmm. And I know She's I, with EOG. Yeah, and I catch a lot of their uh, their monthly meetings mm-hmm. uh, from a technical standpoint, trying to trying to keep myself sharp. Man, um, the technical talks are very valuable. Yeah. They're, they're very valuable, um, and it's, it's amazing how many folks are really trying to uh, maintain uh, maintain that discipline and everything. Yeah. So uh, shout out to all those guys and appreciate everything. Yeah, they moved they it all online, and they yeah. did their best. To, you know, I'm sure it kind of fell off because a lot of guys go for the networking uh, side of it, but the, the talks that they've had online have still been quite good for the Absolutely. SBE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been really good. Well, that is your, uh, you know, you bring it up, but your recruiting and your background, and your schooling, like, how'd you, how'd you even become like interested in the oil field? Like, where does that come from? Like, what's your background? Yeah. And so, um, I've had the opportunity to be in the industry now for a little over 20 years. Um, I was a military vet, uh, and I, I was in the Navy, uh, straight out of high school, um, went and got my, uh, official, Navy education there and decided that I had to grow up after I got done with that. And so, <laughs> uh, my dad's a landman, grandpa's a geologist, uh, uncle's a petroleum engineer, and so the oil business has kind of always been in my background. Here in Oklahoma? Yeah. Here You're a home branch right Robert, there. How many of those credits crossed over uh, towards your engineering degree from the uh, Navy? So I had about 24 credits that transferred over and zero went towards my engineering degree. Really? That's no joke. So, That's, yeah. well, what, what year did you get out of the Navy? So I got out of the Navy, so I was there from 91 to 96. Okay. Well, just for those listening, I got out of the Navy in 06, and I had 10 engineering credits. It was a, So I did avionics, uh-huh. and so most of those were towards electrical engineering, but they could be used as your general courses in engineering. Yeah, so general, I, I, I didn't get the general credits, and so I basically got to enroll as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, that's, that's nice. So, yeah. Something to start. Yeah, Join the military. Some, it's yeah. great. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, they. That, that's how I paid for school. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. At OU. At OU. Yeah. How's, how was their program back then? Uh, their program, so this was back in the you know late 90s, and so everybody that was in the petroleum engineering department, we had to go through a psyche belt because they all thought we were crazy. <laughs> no, that's no joke. <laughs> yeah. No, it was I mean, legit it, back then. Uh, I'm telling you what, it was, uh, I, I think there was only like, uh, there were 20 people, 11 were foreign exchange students, mm-hmm. um, and then the remaining nine of us, uh, we're, we're here getting our undergraduate in petroleum engineering and, uh, four of us ended up working for Devin. They were uh, desperate for people and, back then. But, well, they were desperate for students, but yes. the industry wasn't desperate for people. Yeah. Um, thank goodness that we went ahead and worked through, uh, some of the downturn and everything. And so right when we graduated and got out, uh, you know, right around 2000, 2001, that's right when things were starting to pick back up. Oh yeah. Um, and so we kind of, kind of get in on the front, uh, the front of that so uh but now the program was great down there um and uh, uh you know OU's top notch from top top notch and yeah. uh oh, yeah. i mean i i am blessed that they have that because of uh our oil field tailgate parties i think that's why i i'm here now because of uh, every home game in norman we have a giant uh, oil field tailgate party for uh, anybody in the oil and gas industry that wants to come by. It's not just like, look, I don't care what school you cheer for. If you're in our industry, please come by. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. All the all the, the spo- industry rather than the school. Yeah, there and, you go. And all the sponsors get highlighted. You know, each and every uh, time we do the Fossil Fuel Friday stuff, it's led into this. So I'm very appreciative of uh, what you do, where you came from. Um, whenever uh, you left school, like, how did you transition from? Hey, I'm a student. Like, did you have internships? Yeah, and so I was. Uh, actually, I was a roughneck during school. So that's uh, so I roughnecked. Uh, worked on a workover rig. Did some uh, uh, tank battery rebuilds. Did did some things like that while I was in school. So um, good for you. I was. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have some internships as well um, most of those were with ocean energy mm. um, and actually they gave me the opportunity to work and go to school so I worked part-time while I finished up school so um, kind of transitioned um, from being a student uh, over to a petroleum engineer while I was still in school um, and so I that was uh, that was one thing that uh, kind of helped help really get me into the industry and and, and kind of up to speed uh, was a production engineer uh, out in western Oklahoma um, almost all of the stuff that scoop stack now, uh, we, I worked previously from a conventional standpoint. It was all of that Woodford, mm-hmm. uh, miss all of that stuff. Um, we were trying to get past that as fast as possible. So we could get down to where the real pay zones were. That is, <laughs> yeah. that is amazing. And so back. that's, that's the way that, uh, we saw a lot of those unconventional reservoirs is, is uh, get them behind pipe because they're shales, they'll stick you. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to get around them. They're always going to give you a little puff of gas. They're going to give you some problems, so get past them. Um, and so we bypassed a lot of multi-billion dollar pay zones for lots of years before we turned around and, and started trying to figure those out. Now, how did, did you guys ever experiment with it while you were back in the day before horizontal became really prevalent? Did you guys say, man, they're, we're getting some great shows, we're getting oil or whatever? So, so yeah, so check? one of the first uh, Woodford uh, wells that was tested, it was just perforate and a little frack on it, and they got mm-hmm. a little gas out of it. Yeah. Um, and then they decided to get out there and uh, try to do a horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, when they first started drilling and completing those wells, they had so much problem with completing those and flowing shale back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, oh, shale was horrible. Yeah, on they those had wells. to figure out had to figure out how to uh, efficiently uh, manage pressure drop and mm-hmm. not pull them too hard because normally. You go in there, you'd frack your well, you want to clean it up right away. Right. Well, they were finding out that you go in there and you've got that much pressure drop, you're just pulling the formation in on oh. yourself. Well, right, yeah. all right, so uh, pretend, and actually you don't even have to pretend I'm that ignorant. Tell me the old process of how you would how you would do this compared to now on uh, sure. what you're talking about with the worried about heaving or whatever on the... Yeah, and so um, you would go in there uh, previously and you'd go in there and you'd you put your big slick water jobs on these things, you flow them back, and you try to get as much water off as, as much as possible. You what do you mean? You open dry it up? up. Yeah, like, no choke? It up. Like yeah. Six, four, yeah. six, well, four, I mean, you, or what? You, you wouldn't have a choke strategy per se. You uh-huh. try to walk through the chokes as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody likes big rates, and so oh, yeah. you try to get the big rates, get your water off and stuff like that, and bam. Get that well paid for. Well bores full of shale. Yeah, yeah. No, and completely. Then, and, and then, then I go, come out with cold tubing. And then you come out there and you would uh, <laughs> come out there and clean them out. And you might do that once or twice. All the time. And, and you'll pull them back in again. Um, and then finally you clean them out enough and then they'll go ahead and produce. Yeah. Um, the we choke lived stra- on location. Yeah. yeah. The choke strategies now, um, whether it's in the Wolf Camp, whether it's in the Woodford, whether it's in these other ones, is you used a uh, managed pressure drawdown. Right. Um, a lot of the work um, that we had done at Devon, some of the, some folks had uh, gone through and presented that, and you'll actually go through and you'll let the well tell you when you need to open that next choke. Yeah. Um, and so you'll do a managed pressure drawdown schedule 
um, and you'll you'll communicate that to the field. You'll know exactly what that needs to look like. Um, and so you, you actually care about what the reservoir is telling you rather than what the rates at the well. Now, now when you say you let the well tell you, you mean you're going to produce it until the, the pressure uh, yes. is done, right? And you'll, you'll produce it um, and, and typically you'll watch your flowing pressures and everything and, and you always you always keep a little back pressure mm -hmm. on the well. Um, and once it starts to clean out, the well the well's going to tell you when it's ready to open up. Um, mm -hmm. And, and when it's ready to for that for that next bump. So yeah, it's starting to unload on its own. You know, I was a directional driller, and it's very similar. Uh, when PDCs took over and replaced tricones in the curve, when we first started doing it, we, we treated it just like a tricone would, where we would just hammer down and get eight foot, uh, you know, an hour or whatever it was. And then we started doing the same thing with PDCs, just mash on it, and it would get stuck. The bend would get stuck in the curve when it was trying to get through that first five foot. Mm -hmm. So what we learned. Is well, you got to look at what the rock's doing, yeah. and we're moving. We're doing this whole thing off of differential pressure, which is the difference between on bottom and off bottom pressure. We start using that and lower weight initially until you get that bend through yeah, you uh, your them. slide, yeah. and then you could hammer down. Now you've kind of got a trend, but th it was very similar in the fact that you had to actually, you know, uh, unlike a tricone where you just set it and forget it, you actually really had to play with the differential and the weight on bit and several different characteristics to get that thing sliding, and then boom, you know, you're sliding at 80 foot, 100 foot an hour. Yeah. Or even more now. <laughs> yeah. Back in my day, we were only using 400 PSI for, of differential pressure. We were there for like 1,200 <laughs> I was underbalanced, you know, whatever. <laughs> I tried not to wash your motors out at that mm -hmm. time. Oh, yeah. or chunk them. Yeah. yeah or chunk them. Yeah, just rip that stator completely yeah. out. The strength of those motors anymore, like we had the tag guys, uh, or well, we had Corey in here. Yeah, Corey Nunez, Corey Nunez, Corey tag, Nunez motors. With tag motors. And, you know, the technology, and I talked to him a little bit off offline about their power sections and uh, their transmissions and I mean, it's just night and day from when i got into directional drilling yeah. 12 years ago so. absolutely mm -hmm. it's 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 very rapid changing technology anyway sorry i was only deviating to no, say that I, I experienced the same thing in curbs when you're drilling the wells for these shale wells yeah i mean it's it's definitely its own science right now right and so some of the things that we're doing in america is a little bit different right we're actually coming back we're looking at things from a conventional standpoint. We're, we're going back into some of these areas that have been forgotten. Um, mm -hmm. We've got lots of opportunity out there. Everybody knows companies that have properties that they just don't get a chance to put as much uh, focus on mm -hmm. as they would like. So what kind of things can you pull from uh, your horizontal experience and then bring back to your conventional, uh, I mean, your shale to conventional? Have you looked at that? Yeah, and so one of the things that uh, I'm really going to be looking at is probably more on the completion side. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the wells were originally completed. You go in there two, four, six shots per foot. You perforate them, a little bit of acid job, um, and then you, you swab on them and you, you see what shows you get. Um, a lot of these, in, in some of the areas, uh, a lot of them have been hydraulically fractured, mm -hmm. um, or they've been hydraulically fractured with heavy gels. Mm -hmm. um, and so we know we've got slick water technology Gummy bears. out there. Um, and so uh, I feel like we've got the opportunity to go back in, take a look at some of these older completions. Um, we know that we're not going to have to put a million gallons down there, per se. Um, we, we don't need to do that um, like you do it on a horizontal um, we just need to get in there and make sure we've got good, uh, effective communication with the reservoir. Um, 
economics for these wells, I mean, they're, they're only running four, $500,000 from cradle to grave. Mm -hmm. um, so 50, 60 barrels a day, and these things pay off, and uh, oh, yeah. they, look, they look great. Yeah, it's going to be nice with back to the old school, just straight verticals. So Yeah, and yeah, from a drilling standpoint, I mean, golly, uh, that's... The, they're, they're five-day wells. You're having to go open up your old notes. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> tally book, tally when, book. When I was a drilling engineer, uh, actually everything I did as a drilling engineer, I drilled up in Wyoming. Right. And so we did tight gas sands. And so I drilled vertical wells all day, every day. Mm -hmm. uh, drilled one of the first horizontal wells up in the Rockies. Um, and it was, it was a, a little bit of a learning experience, but, uh, you know, Fortunately, I've got a lot of that conventional uh, mm -hmm. vertical well drilling experience. Um, all of the horizontal experience I've got is is typically from a management perspective, so I'm very focused on cost, uh, very focused on how, from a reservoir standpoint, we want to draw the well down, where mm -hmm. we're going to place the wells. And so, to your point, you're asking what can I bring. Uh, some of that is going to just be from an asset management perspective. Sure. Um, we're going to play a margin game here. Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, when, when you start getting into that margin game, uh, I mean, it, it's all going to be about cost and mm -hmm. efficiencies. I got I to gotta ask a question. You said you actually did drill one of the first horizontals in Wyoming. Yeah. Tell me how you did compared to AFE. Uh, it was horrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did a part of a lot of those wells. It was horrible. And, uh, they had, they had no clue what yeah. they were going to spend. They just didn't. No, we didn't We didn't have any idea. Uh, and we, we ran a, uh, um, golly, it was one of Baker's first uh, sliding sleeve systems mm -hmm. back then. Oh, uh, wow. It was a long time ago, we go in there and we we frack and we're setting plugs with a sliding sleeve system, mm -hmm. just to make sure that we had good isolation because we didn't trust oh, it. Man, um, and we spent buku dollars. Well, this thing is is a Barrel Springs unit was the well. Um, this thing produced like two million a day for like four years, and then. Like uh -oh. ten years later, it's still doing six, seven hundred MCF just flat. Where is that? What is TVD on that? Is it on top of the Parkman? And, uh, no, the and so this is going to be in the Almond Formation, which yeah. is in the Mesa Verde. Uh, so it's on top of the Erickson, which you have to be careful with uh, because you got a lot of water there. But it's dry cast, mm -hmm. um, and it's a, uh, it's like a, a bar, a sandbar uh, yeah. formation out there. And once you lay one in there, I mean, you're going to drain. You'll drain townships. Uh, if you do it right, um, <laughs> but uh, so it, it was probably about ten, eleven thousand feet. Okay. Uh, TVD. Mm -hmm. What's it going to take to get the Rockies back up and running again? Uh, that's a great question. Um, it's going to take a. a, a Is bigger, it just logistics and, and pipelines? Logistics and uh, pipelines and infrastructure, regs, gas market too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so much gas in the Rockies. Well, we need to get it over to the West Coast and LNG yeah, plants. Yeah, they're getting well. What Robert said, there's just not enough pipelines. Everything's kind of isolated, mm -hmm. but they are, and they're really starting to tighten their buttons on, like what you can, do, how long you can flare and how much. They want you to figure out something to do with it. Yeah. Well, you know, Rex, infrastructure Rex pipeline. They actually converted it from a gas pipeline back over to a liquids pipeline, um, and they've reversed it. And really? so we used to actually send gas from the Rockies east, uh, Rex East. Goodness. Um, and we tried to get into that market over there. By the time everything's done, by the time it's built, by the time everything is rocking and rolling, gas the prices go down, and it doesn't, doesn't make any economic sense. But so some of your first projects are going to be in Kansas. Like, yeah. where, where, how's their infrastructure on uh, delivery? Yeah, and so uh, Kansas has been explored for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, and so most of the infrastructure there, it's it's been in place. Um, 
we're not worried about um, a lot of takeaway issues or anything like that. Um, all of the oil there, I mean, we're, we're going to be looking low rate, so it'll, we already, you know, Coffeeville Refinery, we're going to be trucking all of our oil. Uh, gas pipelines are in place, um, so we're not going to worry about flaring or anything else. So. Man, what a great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's one of those deals when you think about the oil industry, Kansas isn't the first thing that pops into your mind. But it's been around for so long. Forever. Uh, maybe it should be every Philip day. 66 made his fortunes there. Absolutely. Um, and so one of the deals is, is um, between what we're going to be doing up front and trying uh, with some recompletions and new drills, um, we feel like we've got some good opportunity up there to go in there and continue to not only um, um, build a position, but um, you know, continue to grow that over time. And then grow it over to here. Yeah. Speaking of of growth, I'm gonna I'm gonna brag a little bit here. What what's this? Oh, you guys are in the American Oil and Gas Reporter now. Yeah, y'all are in the Reporter. We are in, we are in the there. Reporter with uh, with EOG with Devin uh, with with some of the big guys out there. Um, we went in and uh, had a conversation and, and just tried to talk a little bit about how we're different um, and how we're going back in. Um, taking a look at some of these areas um, that have kind of been passed over, if you will. Um, and, you know, Franz, he, he took a uh, took opportunity when uh, when there was a, a downturn and everything. And so, um, you know, being able to go in there and just be strategically positioned and, and make those kinds of decisions, that's that's what a lot of that uh, article talks about. Franz it, has a heart of gold. He was in here. If everybody's watching this one, uh, Franz was just on a – few episodes ago telling us some uh, the the beginnings of uh, his career in oil and gas and uh, yeah it's a story worth uh, listening to as well whenever whenever i see what you guys are doing i mean it just uh, man it just makes me keep thinking we're all, we're all talking about as an industry you know the regulatory uh, side of things the political side of things is pushing our industry away from drilling horizontally and fracking i mean do you do you think it's going to go back to a traditional just by force you know that's a good question i mean i think that um i think the uh, administration is going to get exactly what they're asking for um and they're probably going to be sorry for it um however um high energy costs high energy costs, yeah. right which I mean, hurts that's, that's, everything well that's how they promote their the electric green new deal right which uh that that's great I, I'm, I'm glad i i think it's a not a single answer. I think it's all of the above. Mm -hmm. um, but guys, hydrogen, electricity, all of that, none of that's made for free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, none of that is, you know, magically just pulled out of the air. Um, sorry, wind energy and everything, that's great. I, I, I think it's great. All energy is good, all but what's the cost? Good, but what's the cost? Yeah. And what's the, what's the cost in my pocketbook as a businessman to run a company? How much is my energy yeah, cost? The energy intensity that it takes to charge batteries. The energy intensity that it takes to build windmills. I mean, all of those things. I mean, those blades on those fans, they're, they're, they're not made out of, you know. <laughs> Sunshine and rainbows. That's right. I mean, <laughs> um, it, the energy industry um, needs to just be all-encompassing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. We need to do it responsibly. And I, th I, think, I think we do it the most responsibly. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think our particular brand is, hey, we know that if uh, any waste at all, if it happens to be environmental waste or whatever, that affects our pocketbooks. Absolutely. We, you know, the flaring, we all know that's a problem. And we don't even think of it like, we just think of it financially. Like, man, all that flaring could be a dollar in somebody's pocket. Exactly. You know, Or a community, our, our like you mentioned. You mentioned about the community. 
bringing that flaring back to small towns and whatever else, trying to use it for some kind of benefit for the energy. Bitcoin mining. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Bloomberg, is that correct? Are y'all about to be on Bloomberg here pretty soon? We are. Um, yeah, Bronze is going to uh, do a short little uh, interview there, uh, I believe, on Bloomberg TV here coming up fairly soon. Really? Congratulations, wow. guys. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. He's, he's done a great job uh, getting out there in front of uh, in front of everybody and, and trying to market and trying to tell everybody about America. So, um, Can I come with y'all? I'm just asking. No. Uh, I, I, I tell you what, you Talk to Franz. I, I, I told him that you know I, I've still got a little bit of the engineering mindset. Let me let me. Call it's hard. Him. It's hard for yeah. us to grab you yeah. and put you as a face of this company. Yeah. I know I'll we be, have a we have a real live engineer in yeah, studio, yeah. everybody. I can't believe it's right here. Hey, we'll send you to luckily acting classes a, for free. Luckily, he's a hometown hero that knows everybody in this building. Hey, by the way, once again, I'm gonna plug this. Trace, thank you so much for the studio space. Yeah, we're we're a little Devin for the most part. So, hence <laughs> the hat, Devin. man. Yeah, Trace management does project management for oil and gas companies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if you need something that you don't have going on right now, I mean, you always have to reach out to these guys. Right? Absolutely, I've had a, a unique opportunity to work with a lot of the folks that oh, are yeah. here at Trace. Yeah, um, you worked with Luke. Uh, I worked with Luke. I worked with Jason. I worked with Rusty. I worked with Sharon. I worked with Prejean. Mm-hmm. I worked with basically almost everybody <laughs> yeah. uh, one over the, the years. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I'm, I'm looking to actually, uh, you know, have Trace help out uh, as we kind of kick kick this off as well, too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, their expertise and their knowledge uh, in, in the drilling completion uh, arena, uh, we'll definitely be looking for that. Yeah, that's great. So, Oh, yeah, by far. Mm-hmm. Hence why I'm rocking the hat. I'm just saying. Yeah. So you guys, uh, you guys had some uh, meeting. I, I keep... Uh, getting lucky you guys keep coming through town so on your on your way through i mean what a when you right now you guys are raising capital you gotta yeah, do more yeah, projects that's right yep and what how do you even begin like that process like hey you know you you guys meet like hey we need to reach out to people that know oil and gas and know our value and then set up those meetings up for a lot of people out there i mean that's just uh that's a brand new field for our industry but you know, we're seeing a lot of guys that are amazing engineers that probably should be out there starting their own oil company right now. Yeah, and I tell you what, the the, the big thing is is um, it's it's not just about um, you know knowing the industry; it's about knowing your contacts. And one of the big things that we're trying to get out there, and when we talk to people, um, we're really trying to to tell folks how we are going to be. Um, how we're going to try and be different for our investors. Yeah, you're going to bring money back right. to them. We are We are definitely, um, I mentioned margin before, and, and it's not margin for the company, that's margin for our investors. Yep. Um, and the, the structure of our deal uh, in our first fund is something that's not really heard of a whole lot in the industry. I mean, it's a 90-10 split, mm-hmm. 90% for our LP for our fund. Um, and that's for the life of the fund. That is not for a until 200% of payout and then we back in, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's 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 really made for investors. Uh, th- this could this could truly be a uh, wealth building exercise. Something for their kids, That's for right. their families. Yeah. So you, you take a look. We've got our uh, monthly distribution charts in there. Uh, we've we feel like that we're going to be uh, viable at twenty nine dollars uh, or less. Um, our base case was originally fifty bucks. We just went ahead and, and updated everything to our sixty five dollar oil price tag. Uh, but we understand that we're going to be playing somewhere in that, in my mind, uh, we're going to be playing somewhere between the $50, $60 range. 
we're going to deliver returns 30, 40, 50% all day, every day. Robert, for our, for the people watching, we've got a mixture of young engineers, young sales guys. People that are not even in Yeah, all gas. over the place. Now, traditional, not traditionally, but a lot of companies, you can just invest directly in the wells. Uh, and you have working interests or royalty or override or something. Can you explain the difference with LPs? They're actually going to own a portion of your company, right? Or that fund, I yeah. should say. They'll own a portion of the actual fund itself. And so the way that the fund is set up, it's a 90-10. So 90% goes to the fund mm -hmm. for distribution back to the investors. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a working interest per se. Um, it's not a you own a piece of this particular well. You own a piece of this asset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so... For uh, Midcon Revenue Fund 1, it's 10 wells, 5 workovers, roughly around $8 million. So with that, you own a piece of all of the workovers, all of the new drills, all of the production, everything that comes from that investment. Yeah. Allow you to delineate your risk instead of uh, just participating in one well, which, uh, you know, if that one doesn't go that great. or Kind of risky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you... Unfortunately, sometimes they're dry or sometimes they don't produce yeah. like they're supposed to, but being able to delineate over 10 wells. Uh, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's and cool. and we're going to keep an eye on uh, the results and everything. Uh, and if we see anything that's heading south, uh, we can actually change direction. Mm -hmm. um, if we're able to go out and secure acreage in another portion, it, that money, wherever it goes, they have a piece of that action. Mm -hmm. It is not a specific to you're only in this and you don't get the opportunity so much better. Uh, oh, absolutely. Well, it's, so it just goes back to what Franz said, too. He's like, hey, look, uh, it is dependent on the success of our projects for us to get paid, mm -hmm. You know, which means that everybody gets paid whenever the these projects kick off right. That's right. But you yeah. brought up that it's $8 million for this first fund. Uh -huh. What What is uh, the minimum and maximum contribution? I, I could probably guess the maximum, but do you guys have a minimum? Uh, so the way that this fund is set up right now is that we actually have 50 units out there, so... Eight million divided by fifty units, one hundred sixty thousand dollars. That's that's on a per unit basis, and we've got everything broken down on a per unit income. Mm -hmm. um, so we can tell anybody that has one hundred sixty thousand if you want in on this. Um, if you want ten units, you want five units, you want to fund all eight million dollars. Uh, we know our second and third phase. It's thirty six and a half million dollars uh, for phases one, two, and three. I mean, we we don't really have a maximum uh per se right and you're wanting the llc like yeah uh, when you say those units yeah. but you could really you could put together a group of guys absolutely instead uh, to come up with that 160 it, you don't have to do it by yourself That's yeah you just yeah. form hey. an llc incorporate uh, everybody pitch in some type of incorporation i shouldn't say llc yeah. and then uh, get your funds and get it over there. That's a great point. That's mm -hmm. and uh, we've seen a ton of engineers that have done that. Uh, Trace is somewhat similar to that too. When they kind of start and just guys coming together, making an awesome company, but in the same instance, y'all could do an investment mm -hmm. and actually. Yeah, from a vehicle standpoint, investment vehicle. I mean, it can be a, it can be a an individual. It can be a group of individuals. It could be uh, a uh, investment uh, fidelity. It could mm -hmm. be a. I mean, it could be a church social club. It could be anybody mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's it's like throwing money uh, into the lottery. Mm -hmm. um, as far as, you know, everybody puts in, everybody understands what they've got. We're going to make our distributions back to the group. And then, you know, it, yeah. it doesn't have to be a, a, a certain uh, one person can invest a certain amount of money. There we go. Yeah. There could be some good tax incentives for that as well. Yeah, and so one of the things too is you know between the IDC, the intangible drill costs, mm -hmm. and uh, and some of the tax incentives, we actually have a tax worksheet 
uh, in our uh, uh, all of our material out there as well too. So uh, people can take a look and see how that'll uh, how they can use that uh, from a tax advantage standpoint mm -hmm. as well. We've we've talked with quite a few folks that say rather than give my money to Uncle Sam, I would just like to be able to do something where I have the ability to potentially make returns mm -hmm. and lower my tax liability. Yeah, they did a great that's, job that's, of tax returns. That's a real business yeah. you just got involved in. You are now a part of the oil and gas industry. That's right. Get after it, everybody. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, we we need a lot more uh, entrepreneurs out there. And man, if you just have an entrepreneurial spirit, get in touch with America Oil. Get in touch with Trace. Man, you come in here, they'll tell you how to LLC up and and get after it. I mean, there's there's just so many ways to roll up your sleeves and get involved with either your money or your willpower these days. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Don't 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 hold back. Get in there. So, Robert, you're uh, you're Amer America Oil's everything engineering. Tell us about how why you're why you can do that. Where, well, tell us about your experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did Devin put you through the ringer on drilling is completion it just Devin, production? By the way? Have you worked for a couple others? So I worked for, uh, so I started out my career with Ocean Energy, mm -hmm. which Devin acquired. Um, and so I've, it's, it's, and then almost 20 years with Devin. Um, Devin's a great company. Uh, they gave me the opportunity to move around and do a lot of different things. Um, I started off as a, a reservoir engineer, did that for a couple years, moved over into drilling. I was a drilling engineer. Did completions for a while, was an operations engineer, um, continued to just to work around the different areas of the company and mm -hmm. the different uh, um, engineering uh, disciplines. Uh, they gave me the opportunity to move into strategic planning, so I did uh, a lot of strategic planning for them, um, helped with the divestiture of all of the offshore assets, mm -hmm. um, which was done right before Macondo, which I'm sure everybody remembers. Um, so international offshore uh, did, did divestitures there, uh, helped do a lot of acquisitions um, and everything. And so uh, they gave me the ability to do a lot on the engineering side and then also understand on a strategic mindset. Um, then moved into management. I was a reservoir manager um, for uh, some of our uh, joint venture projects. Um, had a, had an opportunity to work some of our um, stuff down in the Eagleford, uh, the Permian, um, most I've I've worked almost everything other than the Barnett. The Barnett was the one monster I didn't get to tackle. Man, I thought all of us got to be in no, Barnett at some point. No, right. So I actually worked all of the Rocky stuff. Maybe you can bring it back, just like hey, you said. That's another area I that's think, just been overlooked for too long. Oh yeah, Jeremiah, Rocky's don't look like, at me. Like no, that. I was just thinking you kind of got siloed in like the hardest play, right? Yeah. Maybe that's why they put you up there, Barnett. They kind of figured out pretty quick and yeah. knocking out those wells, but yeah. I would actually argue my experience with the other large operator in Oklahoma City that it still isn't figured out. Uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely gotten a lot better, but there's still a lot to be learned in the Rockies, namely Wyoming hitting that deeper stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. So all of the stuff I worked in Wyoming was out of was between Rock Springs mm -hmm. and Bags. And now, so, now uh, yeah. okay. So everything I did was mm -hmm. north of Douglas, okay, in so Converse, and uh, yeah. So you're over on the other side of Wyoming. There. Uh -huh. and I was just across from. Uh, so we used to fly into uh, um, Casper. No, no. in Colorado. Uh, it's so it's close to Steamboat. Yeah, uh, the college town. Ah, yeah. I, I was remember. just up Craig, there in Colorado. Thank you. So we flew it was so Craig, cold we forgot. Yeah, yeah, Craig, Colorado, and then we would just drive north. Uh, up to Bags, and that's where our office was okay. at. Mm -hmm. And so, and then from Bags up to Wamsutter, mm -hmm. uh, which is on I seventy there, we that that's basically the Washakie Basin. Yep. Um, and so, I worked that area for about four years, 
from drilling reservoir completion standpoint. It would have taken two, but when we go up there, guys, your roads are five fingers and then another five fingers and then another five fingers. And eventually you'll see the rig in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, I'm right there. Oh shoot. I got to backtrack and find my way out of here to get back over there. It's, it's never seen anything like it. Yeah, and of course drive, you're all day to drive two miles all day long. And then sometimes <laughs> yeah. you're about out of gas in the middle of the night and it's frozen and you're like, forget it. I'm just going to sleep in my truck. You can't do that. You might die. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I always carry a gas can yeah, in the back. Better make sure it have a full tank. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like anybody that's in the government, like you're just going to have to forgive me, but there are plenty of times where I ended up using red gas on location to get oh, my, man. get my tickets. So you're on the West side, of the, West side of Wyoming, man. There was a, an operator a couple of years ago doing like 32 well pads, like just a monster pad. It was yep. that dry gas, uh, but it's just incredible. I believe it's ultra. Was that in Wyoming or was that down there by That was in Wyoming. So that's a, a Jonah field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that Green River Basin, yeah, I guess. Yeah, GGRB, Greater mm-hmm. Green River Basin. And so that's around that Jonah field. You're down to about seven and a half acre spacing down there. Mm-hmm. And that's all through the Mesa Verde uh, and Rifle, Colorado, just on the other side. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff in the peons. Yeah, yeah, the, the peons. And so, yeah, yeah th- that. that was all like 2,000 or 3,000 feet of stacked pay. It's like drilling a horizontal well, but vertically. No. Because you, you would you would complete all the way through that. Can't, but did you not have to isolate the zones? You do. Yeah. And so, you, you plug and perf. Uh-huh. You wow. plug and perf the whole way. We always you wonder just, that. When you drive over there and you see all those, ma- you're like, you know, if you just put the rig down here, couldn't you get... Nah, well, you, but you weren't <laughs> able to produce two different formations at the same time, right? Because you had different ownership of those levels. Right? No, it, it, typically you could go ahead and commingle a lot of that you stuff. You can. There. Yeah. And so we would complete in the Jonah field, I mean, we would complete 2,000, 2,500 feet all the way down. It was like a, it was like a lateral. It was like but, a Swiss cheese. Yeah, absolutely. Just, so, Wait, but, could you, is that... Can you do that everywhere? No. Uh, okay. Just depending on uh, different uh, states and yeah, the regulatory environment. Your regulatory environment, yeah. Uh, and if you're on BLM, Colorado's right? regulatory shut well, down they, the Peons Creek. They want to oh know gosh. what you're producing out of each rock. Right. Yeah. They kind of track that too. But if you're commingling, it, how how could you know that? Uh, well, you, I mean, you can run production tests. You mm-hmm. can run spinner surveys. You can do some things to go mm-hmm. in there and try to understand if you have different ownership. Yeah. Uh, e- even you can do. You can do dual completions. You can run two, two strings of tubing in some of these. You can do different things if you want to get that fancy. The easiest thing is just to go in and commingle those and just give everybody a fair shake. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff up there in the Rockies uh, is, is BLM. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as long as you kind of okay. let them know what's going on. Yeah, you only have one working interest uh, partner. That, yeah, and, you're, and you're working interest owners to mm-hmm. government. And so wasn't there, wasn't there even some where they would actually produce or actually frack a certain section, let it produce for an X amount of time, then they'd move up the hole yeah. and oh, do yeah. another one. Uh-huh. Yeah, behind pipe potential, right? We do that every day or yeah. yeah. Uh, well, there's a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's where I, I want to go back in and there's stuff that gets forgotten. Mm-hmm. Right? There's stuff that gets produced and mm-hmm. once it's mm-hmm. done, um, whoever had it before said, uh, we're done. We're out. Um, and it's like, well there's seven more zones behind pipe guys. Right. Um, yeah. they're like, well Maybe so. But Set a whip sock, cut a uh, window. Let's go. Well, and you think about it, and uh, perforate and frack it. Yeah, how many how many uh, largely publicly traded companies are going to be out there talking about a recompletion program right. out there? Yeah, when it, they're going back mm-hmm. in and doing that. They're they're going to get killed because mm-hmm. their investors are going to say you don't have anything else to do other than go do recompletions. Mm-hmm. And so 
a lot of those just get set in the side. Yeah, or it doesn't meet their hurdle rates a lot of time well, either. Yeah. Okay. They want bigger numbers. That's right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't meet their hurdle rate from a production standpoint, mm -hmm. but it would blow their economics out of the water. Mm -hmm. I know, and it's such a cranial rectal inversion infection. They need yeah. to do that by far. Or no, let the little guys do it. They well, have a lower I cost. Mean, that, like, that's just, great for us. They'll that's what I'm saying. Sell, that, sell that asset to yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll take care of it. We'll take, the, we'll take yeah. the scraps. Yeah. But they're missing out on a ton of scraps. It's awesome. Absolutely. And they don't have the right cost structure for some of that. Sure. And so... There are there are some uh, necessi necessities for smaller companies to be able to come in there and do that. Mm -hmm. Work with folks like Trace Management. Work with folks like Winter Drilling Mud. Get in there. Do some of these things at lower cost, at the correct uh, overhead, if you will. Yeah. Um, play that margin game in mm -hmm. some of these areas. Um, and so that's that's what we're looking to get out there. I'll reiterate what you were saying again. Guys, get involved with getting the small group of guys together. I mean, this what you're talking about is huge. It's it's. There's so much left untouched. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Man, so uh, if I know much about engineering, uh, the black hole for me is reservoir. <laughs> tell me how much of that is a swag when you're doing a reserve report. Tell me how the, about reservoir engineering. Well, and so, you know, people always joke about engineers. You know, you, you've got different engineers out there. Yeah, so drilling coolest and then completion. And just, oh. you know, you guys get, like, the <laughs> reservoir guys. Like, we're always like, we're probably not ever going to hang out with them. That's what you used to think, right? I mean, it was like they probably don't even want to hang out with us. I'm too dumb to hang out. Still like that? Shoot. Who wants to hang out with the confidence? I like, and that, and that's the most interesting side. So you know, if you're an engineer and you have to know whether you're right within five minutes, you need to be a drilling engineer. If you need to know whether you're going to be right within five hours, you need to be a completion engineer. If you need five days, you can be an operations engineer. And if you need to find out whether you're right in five years or never, you just be a reservoir engineer. <laughs> Boy, that sounds like you can uh, make some pretty big bets. And Well, and so a lot of it is is because everything is so unknown, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I absolutely can tell you how much a well is going to produce down to the absolute last barrel. And so that's that's the deal is, is reserve estimates are just that. Um, mm -hmm. The met, There's a method to the madness out there. Some folks are really good at it. Some folks are really lucky at it. And then some folks just, some folks are challenged, we'll just say. Yeah. Uh, but from a reservoir standpoint, one of the biggest things that's out there right now isn't so much how, how good you are at reserves. It's how good you are at reservoir management. Mm -hmm. um, it's back to, are you drilling the right number of wells? Mm -hmm. um, I think we've all heard of companies trying to put 24 wells in a section when you know that you only need six. Yeah. And it's, and it's all about what are you chasing here? Are you chasing rate of return? Mm -hmm. Are you chasing long-term value? Or are you chasing the return on investment? And how do you efficiently employ your capital the best? Mm -hmm. All of those have got good arguments. If oil's at 100 bucks, you put as many in as you try to get it all out as fast as possible. It doesn't matter. Um, if if you need to focus on margin, then you try to put the least number in there, try to do it as efficiently as possible, and just understand that from a long-term perspective, that mm -hmm. you're, you're focused on long-term value. So different markets call for different reservoir management styles. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say that that's probably something that gets missed a lot. Everybody focuses on reserves. Everybody focuses on how can I get the highest IP, how can I get the biggest number out there, that's not always the right. That's not always the right answer. Um, and then also one of the last things, um, if you decide that you're going to grow your company at all costs and growth is your number one uh, 
edict, then you'll grow yourself right out of business. Yeah. Okay. Because you just won't be able to sustain that. And you think that's probably uh, what a lot of our industry's done? A lot of what the industry's done I've seen is, is uh, we probably don't have any business drilling additional wells. We probably just need to get better at the wells that we are currently producing. What, what, are, what's, uh, what is our production rate? I mean, really, we're at 25, 30% tops on the wells that we drill. We get uh, 30% back at the most from no. the well, resources place, down there. Yeah, it's way lower than it's way lower than it's that high even. single digit. Yeah. yeah. 8%. Oh, yeah. It's brutal, right? Wow. We have a lot we have a lot of science to utilize to get those Absolutely. numbers back up. One of the best reservoirs that we've ever been able to produce is the Eagleford. And the reason that the Eagleford's so great is because it's overpressured. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. it's uh, uh, and the rock is actually um, is actually compressible. And so mm-hmm. think of a toothpaste tube. Um, you can actually squeeze a rock. I mean, you get double-digit, high double-digit uh, returns on some of that stuff. But what happens when you take a tube of toothpaste and you squeeze it in the middle? Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. How much is left on this end? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, touche. And then how much is left on this end, mm-hmm. right? The only thing you've done is just squeeze the middle. These, there's reservoirs out there like that that we are finding out that there's so much left out there um, that you can go back in and redevelop. You can go back in and refracture these. You can go back in, uh, look at secondary recovery and unconventionals. I mean, some of that stuff is... Um, been taboo to talk about because it's been too cost prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of that you have to think about before you even go out and drill your first well. And mm. so, I mean, that's just good reservoir management is something um, that we're going to have to continue to get better at. So our you bought this acreage. Let's you let's squeeze every last drop out of it. Why do we need to go buy? Well, I'll tell you, it takes why a do lot we need longer. to go buy more acreage? So it takes a lot longer to squeeze every last drop, and a lot of times you have investors and they need their payback. So it's do we open it all the way up now, or yeah, yeah it, there's a there's a real mix to it. And then what about on the other side? Uh, you know, you're trying to do a reservoir study and say if we put five wells in this section, they should produce this much. How do you factor in undulations, or when you get out of uh, homogenous rock? Like somehow you guys went up to such thing as homogenous rock, but I appreciate nope. you thinking that there is. <laughs> I've heard the expression before. You tell I think well, some, I mean, it's, I think uh, some uh, geologist gave there, me an excuse yeah, one time. I don't know when you get to a percentage where it's no longer considered homogenous. Right. I know by a technical term, if there's anything outside of it, then it's not. Right. But there's got to be some type of number where you're playing, you're expecting, okay, we've got 30% chirp, but we're still in the Mississippi line. Yeah, and so some of the things that, that we that like I'm taking a look at now is, is um, what's going to make or break um, the wells that we're going to be looking at drilling here. Uh, yes, it's going to be the geology. Yes, it's going to be closure. It's going to be structure. It's going to be all of those geologic uh, um, pieces and parts. Um, a lot of it's going to be how much water are we going to produce along with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how efficiently can we keep our costs down? Um, is the oil there? Absolutely. Are we going to get it out of the ground? Absolutely. But how much is it going to cost for us to get it out of the ground? Why so, is the return? Why why can we only get single digits? What is it about it? Is it just how the, the frack is going to follow the least path of resistance and so you don't get that other? This has been our engineering question for every engineer. Yeah. And so... <laughs> so uh, the problem with primary recovery is, is a lot of times that is driven by solution gas drive, right? So you actually have gas in the reservoir. Um, it's, you know, go open a Coke bottle, and when you see the CO2 come out, that's expanding gas. Well, the same thing happens in reservoirs. You go in there and you have a pressure drop, and it starts to expand a little bit. You're, 
there's a formation volume factor for different fluids. Um, the higher your formation volume factor, the more compressible that fluid is. And so actually expansion and expulsion of that fluid through the rock is what drives a lot of your primary recovery. And so once that energy is gone, go out there and produce your gas too fast and you've left all of this dead fluid down there and it just doesn't have any way to move. Gotcha. Uh, that's what CO2 uh, is for. That's what water uh, floods are for. That's what all of these secondary, tertiary, improved oil recovery techniques are. Um, what we found out is, is through the primary recovery mechanism, if you can go down there and do pressure management where you're not producing everything so fast right away and pulling as much gas out of solution as possible, you'll actually produce more um, and you can do that by you know, controlling your choke strategies, controlling your pressure drawdowns, um, you know, lowering line surface pressures, uh, compression projects, all of those things just help continue to uh, pull you literally pull uh, fluid into the, the reservoir. And so the big deal is is um, pressure maintenance is, is what's going to drive your recovery. When you say lower the line pressure, you're saying that uh, ET energy transfer, one of them, 150 PSI. Yeah. And yeah. What, what can you explain when you say lower your line pressure yeah. like that you have to give to them? So you run a compressor yeah. is what so, you're saying? Yeah. So you're, you're well. You have that, to match the line pressure. You, right. Whatever their line pressure is, that's what you deliver at. Right. But to get it to that line pressure, a lot of times you can you can run it. I mean, 150 pounds is low pressure anyway, mm -hmm. so you're, that's that's pretty pretty low. I'm talking like eight nine hundred pounds on a lot of these gas mm -hmm. uh, gas lines, and you want to run your wellhead pressure at 150 pounds. Right. Uh, well, you go ahead and you deliver at 150 pounds into a four stage compressor. You go ahead and get it up to 800 900 pounds and send it on down the line. What you would like to do is for them to go ahead and take that eight, nine hundred pounds, drop it down to about two fifty, either eliminate your compression or let the welders produce against that mm -hmm. um, at a much lower pressure. So your earlier statement was saying they open it up trying to match that line pressure, yeah. and yeah, yeah, once you lose that pressure down hole, then you're having to use artificial lift or yeah. something else. Artificial lift, mm -hmm. uh, secondary recovery. Mm -hmm. um, you shut wells in, you let them pressure up, and then. You open them up, let them produce as much as they can, and then you shut them back in. I mean, that's that's just intermittent shut-ins. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, there's lots of different ways that you can uh, produce wells. Um, we just need to find out what's the most efficient. And it, it changes by area, right? It changes by it. It, it can change for the same well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, just depending on the day. Uh, it, it, you can have a high line pressure one day. Mm -hmm. um, you that could kill your well. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to go out. You got to drop soap. You got to go out and get a swab rig out there. You got to go out and do all of these different things. This is just for the same well that you've produced for the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. Every day is a different day. Um, very rarely do you be able to get on these wells and just produce them the same day in day out. Um, some of the stuff that we're doing up in Kansas, uh, most of the stuff they're on rod pump. Mm -hmm. um, those are a little bit more. Uh, Steady. I was uh, just going to say that Kansas, luckily, y'all's investment is a great one because of consistency up there. Yeah, it's consistent. We get out there. We're gonna. We're, we've got uh, our pumping units. We've got our pump off controllers out there. Yeah. Uh, we've got electricity out there. We can get out there. We can pump the wells until they're pumped off. Let it shut in for a little bit. Let pressure build back up. Kick that pump back on and just continue to do that. Saves wear and tear on your rods. Saves wear and tear on all your surface equipment. Um, that's how we're going to be able to keep. Uh, keep control of our costs is, mm -hmm. is really try to keep our maintenance costs down uh, but still go ahead and produce those wells yeah so yeah finding that happy medium of production and you know having to modulate so much uh, 
it takes time to get right. And then it's ever changing as the wells, uh, you know, get older and whatnot. You have as to change the world that strategy. <laughs> That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and heaven forbid we get back up to seventy, eighty dollar oil because then everybody loses their minds. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna be yeah. super happy. So, yeah, what's yeah. your prediction then? Uh, end of the year, uh, last, last day of the year. What, what's our oil at? Wait, ask him first because it'll be more funny. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're probably gonna be in that sixty-five. Uh, I think we're range bound between sixty and sixty-five. Are we gonna, are we gonna go up and then back down? We're gonna go. Uh, hey, I'm just guessing. By the end of the summer, <laughs> we're seventy-five. I just read that the EIA said we had, had uh, uh, we overproduced a little bit. Like we, we had some going back in the storage. Hmm. We'll no. find out. Yeah, all we need to do is just have OPEC kind of watch and wake up. Yeah, they'll, they'll keep that price down. And hey, and, and if everybody's watching, uh, man, more than ever, you know, we see this now with that pipeline that you know just happened to get shut down the other day, or what's happening in Europe. I mean, we vitally need America to go out and drill and go out and produce oil and gas, so that the rest of the world is not dependent on what OPEC. On OPEC or Russia, I mean, yeah. threats against our liberty and freedom Absolutely. control oil, or we do. Yeah. You know, the conversation changes whenever we are a net, you know, producer and exporter. Yeah. You know, it, it vastly, you know, vastly across Europe. I mean, every place in the free world that needs energy would prefer that they get it from somebody like us, not, you know, somebody that can wants to, you know, come in and take their freedoms away. Absolutely. Pretty simple. That's it. Well, guys, I just, uh, again, Robert, I, I, man, thank you so much for uh, joining this conversation about uh, energy and the Talking Energy Show. We we want to highlight people that are doing something innovative like yourself and, of course, you know, friends of ours as well. But you've, you've come in and proved yourself on and on again. So this endeavor is pretty exciting for us. How, do they, how does somebody get a hold of you guys uh, to uh, invest in? America oil. Um, so, I mean, we've obviously got some material out here. Um, you can take a look through any of the material. You can get on AmericaOilCompany.com. Um, there's there's links out there for um, just about every social media platform that's out there. Um, you can send myself an email, Robert Rother at AmericaOilCompany.com. Franz is just Franz Ronnie at AmericaOilCompany.com. Um, yeah, feel free to, to reach out, send us emails. Um, any of the social media, uh, LinkedIn, uh, I'm out there on LinkedIn, uh, Franz is out there on LinkedIn, um, and yeah, just uh, just feel free to reach out any, any way possible out there. Uh, Allegedly a really good public there. speaker, yeah, too, right. that will come and talk yeah. to your group about oil and gas. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I will say that uh, from an engineering standpoint, I, I, I will say that I've had the opportunity to actually have to get out and talk a little bit more. Um, so, yeah. No, I, I, Thank I, you. No, I mean, we, we've talked about it oftentimes. There's, mm -hmm. uh, there's a vacuum of... Uh, you know, exciting leaders that, you know, want to get up in front of people and talk to them about the industry. This, what's the, what's the best type of engineering you should do? <laughs> what, what, what's the best? Who are, are the reservoir guys the coolest or who's, who's the best? Yeah. I the, mean, now knowing coolest? all of them. Uh, in your yeah, opinion, yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah, not the, the industry. Guys, you uh, have this chance to change coolest. it. Jeremiah. Facilities. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The facilities. Cool. Yeah, facilities yeah, yeah. Uh, I tell you what, um, the, the best engineers out there, um, yeah, they're just all of them. I'm sorry. Uh, I, 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 I so thought he was going to say I, from OU yeah, something. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. See, I even, I even went a, a, a little bit above that. I, I, Altruistic, this yeah, guy. Bureaucratic. Yeah, answer. absolutely. Uh -huh. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, 
Boomer Center, I love, love, love OU, but I've worked and had the opportunity to work with so many great engineers yeah. from so many great schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say the best engineer is petroleum engineer. Okay. Ah, there you go. There so, you go. That can uh, huck a frisbee, right? That's that a can huck a it. frisbee. There you go. Yeah, um, you, you guys in your uh, what? What is it? It's uh, frisbee ultimate golf. Frisbee. Ultimate yeah. frisbee. It's ultimate ultimate frisbee. Heck, ultimate, uh, ultimate we frisbee. had another guy this year. I don't know if you know Dwight. Mm-hmm. He he hurt his shoulder really bad. Had to go get surgery on it. Like this is dangerous stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've played frisbee for the last uh, nine years, mm-hmm. I, I believe. I think it's time. I think it's time that we open up this uh, frisbee deal again and go down to that park in front of Devin yeah, and throw the, throw the throw the disc around. They're still Absolutely. doing it, just a lot different emails than when mm-hmm. I started playing. Yeah, these. yeah. Well, I'm hoping to get down there either tomorrow or Wednesday. So, oh, nice. I haven't been able to get out so far since I've been. Back, I see but. every time Jeremiah talked about it, I was like, I, I feel like he's in shorty shorts and a headband, oh, and that's about you're it. Not wrong. Yeah. Just a little uh, white beater on or something, yeah. as little as possible. Oh, yeah. and the, the you have the wristbands too. You get the <laughs> no, that's yeah. and that's uh, that's the, our show, everybody. We talk about uh, fashion and sports and oil and gas and uh, highlighting people. Hey, so anything else going on in the world in oil and gas before we wrap this up? Uh, you need to give your disclaimer. Uh, oh yeah, hey, a disclaimer. Uh, we are uh, independent of uh, Trace Management. They uh, they give us this space and and uh, by all means, anybody that comes in here, we uh, we're not saying yes or no to their message. We just want to make sure that uh, they get a chance to you know tell us about their story. Mm-hmm. And you have a great one. And man, I, I mean, I, we could do this another four hours easily. Oh, man. But we're probably going to break out whiskey to do that. We could yeah. swap stories. Brown water forever. will be on the table. At yeah, that point. absolutely. You know, um, I, like I said, family's been in the oil business long enough to where I can talk shop just about all day, every day. It sounds like <laughs> it too. we enjoy it. Very yeah, that's I, yeah. We, we, I don't know if I have many other subjects to talk about usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeremiah's race car. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. Uh, race, race last go. weekend. Yeah, oh, burned up another engine. Burned up third engine. engine. You yeah. got a shift. I mean, <laughs> it's supposed to say it's seventy five hundred RPMs, right? Do a turn. I was thinking about re- investing in that racing team. I think I'd rather put it in Miracle World. Yeah. Did people come out early to see you before you? Uh, they did. Uh, we, yeah. So it's endurance racing. It's yeah. sixteen hours. We uh, we made it all fifteen hours and twenty minutes, and then unfortunately the car petered out right in front of us in the pouring rain. And then even more unfortunately, we got towed in like 10 minutes before checkered. So at least we could have got towed across the checkered flag. We didn't even get that. So. I told you we should have paid the driver 50 bucks, you know, to tow him across. Yeah, but it is a lot of fun. Sooner or later, we'll get it right. Yeah, that's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Glad everybody was safe, though, at least, right? Yeah, actually, the car caught on fire. Well, it started smoking pretty good. Ken was actually yeah, out was there a- filming us the day before, but... When it died out in front, it's pouring down rain. You just see all the smoke billowing under the hood. <laughs> yeah. And we're talking to the driver because it's so sad. We're we're right there in the pits, hoping to fill them up with gas one more time and yeah. see it. And we just see it die right on the corner. And we're telling him, "Hey, man, you know, we're calling him on the column, saying, man, you need to get out.' But yeah, the car. He was right in a turn, so it was a very unsafe place for the car to yeah. die yeah. and for him to get out because you know these guys are doing 80, 90, 100 around that turn. Yeah. So uh, he stayed in there. Uh, and who was driving at the time? It's Evan. Oh man, the banker. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> my buddy. That's and the not the smallest person on your team to get out of that car in a hurry. He actually is the smallest. He guy. is the smallest. I call him Littlefinger because oh. of that. He can he can get into all these tiny <laughs> spaces. Yeah. But I, I'm talking to him afterwards. I'm like, well, I'm glad you didn't. I understand why you didn't get out the driver's side. But why don't you crawl your skinny ass out the passenger side? You know. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it didn't actually catch on fire. I just smoked for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Hey, they did a good job on that Saturday, though. Y'all kicked ass, man. Yeah, that's quite fun. All right, guys. Thank you for watching Talking Energy Show. Take care. God bless. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.